Hey everybody, in this episode, we're gonna talk about how Mad Libs ask for nouns, verbs, adjectives, and that that appears to be how this episode of Enterprise was written. That's right, we're talking about Rajin. This is episode four of season three of Star Trek Enterprise, and you are listening to Trek in Time. We're the podcast that takes a look at every episode of Star Trek in chronological order, and we're still in early days It's taking us a while, but we're finally into season three of Enterprise, which means we're not only talking about Enterprise, we're also talking about the year 2003, because we also talk about the time that the original episodes aired. So we're talking about October 1st, 2003, with this episode of Rajin. And who is doing the talking? Well, there's me. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matt. Matt is the Matt Farrell of Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. And Matt, how are you doing on this very hot and humid July 4th weekend? I'm doing well and staying indoors because it's steamy outside. It is steamy outside. And if you're here in Brooklyn, you might have noticed it's also steamy inside. So, (laughs) So for the start of our episodes we usually take a look back at what people have been saying about the previous episodes matt do you have any comments from recent episodes that you wanted to share with us sure i have a one from robotrav from two episodes ago when we were talking about the anomaly he said i thought this was a pretty good episode overall but all throughout i kept noticing plot elements that felt very like they were like they were plucked directly from the old next generation or voyager stories maybe i just watched too much star trek great show as usual guys thanks I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> There's, There are definitely elements and themes that we've seen in other shows sometimes done better. I think in The Anomaly, they think they did a pretty good job rehashing some old tropes, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't blame you, Trav, for noticing those. I think we're going to be talking a little bit about that today, as a matter of fact. So. Yeah. Uh, the other comment was on the episode Extinction, which was our last episode. Pelgo69 wrote... I love the concept of this episode, a virus that mutates humanoids into a species with instinctive memories. It's like a genetic time capsule. I think it mirrors the next generation episode about the alien time capsule that challenge that changes the ship and data into characters from their mythos. I think this episode would have been better without the bloodthirsty aliens, though. I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good assessment. The bloodthirsty aliens could have uh, been dropped. <laughs> yeah, I think that not necessary. I think the, uh, you know, one of the things we have a trap we've fallen into and sometimes that we enjoy falling into, but the rewriting of episodes is something that we've done previously. We didn't really do it much on that episode, Yeah, but I think the key question is usually if you can pull a part out of a story and it has zero impact on the story being told, then maybe you don't actually need it. And in something as complex as a novel or a movie, it's often more acceptable to have a little bit more filler that isn't key to the final solution because you have more time and you have more wiggle room. But I do somewhat agree with Ghost's comment here in the form of could they have given us more of the mutated individuals of the crew Mm-hmm. exploring their evolving sense of culture, which then would make the reversion back to human a little more tragic. And it does feel like the 
aliens that show up with the, we have to destroy this infection puts a different spin on the point of the episode, but you could have also told a really great story without them. So I do, I do think ghost has touched on something there. The the aliens also add a countdown clock to the episode, a sense of tension. But at the same time, that tension was already there because they were saying the longer this evolution goes on, we won't be able to get them back. Yeah. So they, they already had that clock. So you, you almost don't need the aliens for that, that sense of tension either. Yeah. You also, you know, the sense of tension could just come out of our captain is turning into another thing. Mm-hmm. We need to get him back. It, I don't know if the ticking clock is even really all that critical. That's another element that might even be able to be pulled out. Thank you for those comments. As usual, the comments are a big part of how we approach these episodes. We want to engage with all of you and we appreciate every comment that comes in and we take a look at them as well. So thank you for taking the time to drop your comments in and please continue to do so. And I'm talking over that sound in the background right now, but that's, that's our read alert. That means it's time for Matt to jump in on the Wikipedia description for this episode, the episode being Regine. Matt, take it away. Tell us what this episode is all about. <laughs> Regine is the 56th episode of the American science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise, the fourth episode of season three. It first aired on October 1st, 2003 on the UPN network in the United States. The episode was written by Brent Friedman and Chris Black from the story idea from Friedman and Paul Brown and was directed by Mike Feager. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet Starship Enterprise registration NX-01. Here we go again. Gotta get those details. Yeah. Season three of Enterprise features an ongoing story following an attack on Earth by previously unknown aliens called the Zindi. At this point, we could probably drop that from the description, too. In this episode, Captain Jonathan Archer, Scott Bakula, and the crew visit an alien bazaar, seeking a formula to help protect the ship against the anomalies in the Delphic Expanse. They bring back on board a former slave called Regine, played by Nikita Ager, whose motivations are not what the crew initially believe. Dun, dun, dun. dun. (laughs) So as Matt just said, this is season three, episode four. Its original air date was October 1st, 2003, and guest appearances include Nikita Ager, who plays Regine, Tucker Smallwood, Randy Oglesby, Rick Worthy, Scott McDonald, Steve Larson, Del Yount, BK Kennelly, and Ken Lolly. And a lot of those guest stars are playing various Zindi because this is another one where we see the Zindi Council that is in charge of humans are on their way. We don't like that. What are we going to do about this? So we see more people as guest stars on these episodes where we see that council. And I think that that's a recurring element to where we're supposed to measure this in the ongoing season along story arc. Do we see the council at work? And Mm -hmm. I think that it's intended to give it some punch. So we'll see if Matt and I think that it carries that punch with all those guest stars. If they were well used in this episode, basically is what I'm asking. As I said, this was aired originally October 1st, 2003. And Matt, you'll remember what song you were singing along to. It was like the fifth or sixth week you were singing. Where is the love by the black eyed peas? I don't know that that's a musical question that Matt's ever been able to answer. 
For his sake, I hope so. But at the movies, well, we were, I guess, going to see The Rundown. Do you remember this movie, Matt? I do not remember this movie at all. Well, The Rundown was a little movie that made $18 million. And it was known internationally as Welcome to the Jungle. Okay. It's a 2003 American buddy action comedy directed by Peter Berg, recognizable director, written by James Vanderbilt and R.J. Stewart, stars Dwayne Johnson, credited as The Rock, Sean William Scott, Christopher Walken, Rosario Dawson, and William Lucking. In the film, Johnson plays a bounty hunter who travels to Brazil to retrieve his employer's son. The film was released by Universal Pictures in North America and Japan, and it made $80 million on an $85 million budget. So it didn't quite make its money back, which this, given this the like era an alternate reality, yeah. this feels like a, I do not remember this movie at all. Yeah. But given the era, this is a very early uh, Dwayne Johnson movie. So yeah. here we, here we have uh, an entry into, I don't remember this, but it does <laughs> exist. And it's available. If you've got Hulu or a Roku, this movie is streaming right now. So check it out. Let us know if you do and let us know what you think if you do. And as far as on television, those of us who were glued to our sets on the nights when Enterprise aired, well, there were 4.5 million of us. And how did we stack up? Well, my wife and kids, they had 11 million viewers. It's all relative. I know you remember that show, Matt. Oh, it was my favorite. <laughs> they had 10 million viewers. We'd have to ask one of those 10 million viewers what that show was about because I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. 60 Minutes <laughs> 2 was airing and 10 million people were tuning in to see stories about American opposition in Iraq and Sting. So, of, of course. Yeah. So, you know, 10 million Pepper people are curious <laughs> about what's, what Sting is up to. Yeah. Fox was showing Paradise Hotel, which without remembering a thing about it, I am going to hazard to guess. I think it was probably something smarmy. Oh, yeah. Ed had 8 million viewers. And on WB, the little uh, show that could, Smallville had 6.8 million viewers. So WB finally found a show that would simply outdo Enterprise. They've struggled for the first two seasons, but Smallville boot would be the show that could do it. And then the New York Times, what was going on in the news? Well, in the news, ongoing concerns about what was happening in Iraq. The post-war rebuilding effort was not going well. And the Bush administration was still asking for more money, certain that if they just had enough money, they would be able to find the weapons of mass destruction that were the pretext for the entire war. Spoiler alert, they never found any weapons of mass destruction. But there was also this story, and this caught my eye, and I'll explain why in a minute. Written by Jer Longman in October of 2003, Wombach's goal sends U.S. to semis. It became evident early Wednesday night that the United States versus Norway women's soccer game would be a familiar game of muscle and determination, of ferocious tackling and rough jostling for balls in the air, of ceaseless pressure and hard running, a match defined by effort not elegance. This is part of a story about the U S women's soccer team 
which at this point was in the midst of this kind of run. The United States women's national soccer team represents the United States in international women's soccer. The team is the most successful in international women's soccer, winning the women's world cup titles four Olympic gold medals. And it medaled in every world cup and Olympic tournament in the women's soccer from 1991 to 2015 before being knocked out in the quarterfinals of the 2016 Summer Olympics. After mostly being ranked number two from 2003 to 2008 in FIFA Women's World Rankings, the team was ranked number one continuously from March of 2008 to November of 2014, the longest consecutive top ranking of any team. Since FIFA rankings were established in 2003, it has been ranked number one for a total of 13 years. The only other team to be ranked number one, Germany, has been there for a total of four and a half years. The U.S. women's team has never been ranked lower than second. The team was selected as the U.S. Olympic Committee's Team of the Year in 1997 and 1999, and Sports Illustrated chose the entire team as 1999 Sports Women of the Year for its usual Sportsman of the Year honor. On April 5th, 2017, the U.S. women's soccer and U.S. soccer reached a deal on a new collective bargaining agreement that would, among other things, lead to a pay increase. In February 2022, numerous current and former members of the women's team settled a lawsuit with the U.S. Soccer Federation for $24 million and a requirement that male and female soccer players be paid equally in the future. The reason I am sharing that story is because in 2003, we were in the midst of this, this Mm -hmm. incredible and historic and powerful strength of a group of women doing something the men's team was not capable of doing, being undervalued for it and underutilized for it. And for some reason, Matt, maybe you can guess, That feels like it ties in with this episode in its use of the female characters. This episode Mm -hmm. for me feels like a big step back for season three into the exploitive nonsense that we have complained about for the first two seasons. This Mm -hmm. episode feels like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode where it felt like it was written like a Mad Lib. Captain Archer goes to blank. He mm-hmm. finds a blank and then comes back to the ship with a blank. The key elements that come out of this episode for me that are supposed to move something forward are the Zindi council is conflicted. We already knew this. The Zindi council is preparing a massive weapon. We already knew this. The Zindi council is unsure of how to stop humanity We already knew this. The humans are looking for the Zindi. We already knew this. They don't know where they are. We already knew this. And this part of space has anomalies that require special protection. So for me, the only thing that comes out of this episode is the humans potentially get a hold of a formula to be able to protect the ship. The whole storyline around Regine, who is a spy, seems completely unnecessary. This doesn't seem to me to be a story that ultimately has a point. And then in the way it's told, 
it felt incredibly insulting to every female character and female okay. actor in the show. Yeah. yeah. I came away from this thinking, oh, I thought we'd turned the corner on a lot of this. I had no memory of this episode. And I think the reason being the episode doesn't really do anything. And I was really kind of shocked that they put this together in a season when they're arguably saying, okay, these are all going to be interconnected stories. We're going to build an arc because we're going to get to a specific place. Yet this as one of those building blocks didn't seem to move the needle on anything and really felt like this is, this is the story they wanted to tell. Am I being overly critical? I think you're being overly critical. (laughs) I did not take any of that. Like, I don't, it's not that I don't see your point. I do see your point, but I I do agree that there is an exploitative aspect to this of classic Trek women that are scantily clad and are being objectified. But this is in the guise of she's actually a spy. She's not actually a prostitute and she's working on behalf of the Zindi. So she's actually doing spy craft. So it's not completely exploitative. She's using her guiles to find out about these humans. The thing about this episode that I think for me, it actually is a good building block. It has nothing to do with the humans. It's about building blocks for the Zindi, not building blocks for the enterprise crew. And I think that might be what you're, you're feeling. Cause for me, we only see the, we only see what the council was it like three times in this episode mm-hmm. or is it twice, twice, three times, twice beginning and end. So we're only seeing them twice, but what they set up in, in when we see them as well as the evolution of regine's character, we see, we learn more about the chinks in the armor of the Zindi, that they are not a well, a very cohesive group. We start to see what the divisions are among the Zindi more clearly in the beginning, especially at the end, uh, the species, the, 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 whatever they are, the, the, what is his name? Degra, mm-hmm. the lead scientist. And then of course the warlike species, which are the, the, the reptilians and yep. the insectoids. We see, we see that that chasm is actually pretty severe about how they both want to go about it and how they're fighting with each other. So there's, these are the building blocks that the rest of the season hinges on. And this is the first time we're really starting to see that formed. And then with Regine, the evolution that we see with her is she's kind of a cold calculated, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing, but as she's learning more about the human crew, she starts to get a little bit of a, I don't want to say appreciative of them and not wanting to do her job. She always wants to do her job, but she's starting to understand that the humans aren't everything that they were expected to be. And she's starting to see that there's compassion there that these people are trying to basically protect themselves, save themselves. And she's starting to empathize with them a little bit. So in the end, when she tries to speak up to the council and says, there's more to the humans than you realize she's trying to do the right thing. And it's like, it's, it's starting to drive that spike into the council. So for me, I thought this was an important building block, a foundation that the rest of the season is going to be building on. So maybe it could have been worked out in a better way. But for me, I did not come across as like, this felt like Mad Libs. This felt like nothing really happened. I actually felt like a lot happened, but it wasn't necessarily about the Enterprise crew. It was more about the secondary characters. In the past and previous seasons, when we've complained about 
the episodes that were kind of weak, that's one of the things we've criticized. It's like, oh, they're making the centerpiece of the character evolution about the non-Enterprise crew, and we don't, this is the only time we're ever going to know this character, so why would, why should I care? I'd rather see mm -hmm. one of the crew evolving, the people that I know week to week. So maybe that's what you're feeling in this, because it's it's not about the crew. I I disagree with your assessment that we learn anything about the Zindi in this one. We've seen all these schisms between the different races. This is like watching if the, if the council was made up of Klingons and Vulcans and humans, there would be no surprises that the Klingons would be warlike. The Vulcans would be logical. The humans would be somewhere in the middle and trying to play peacekeeper. And like, that's what this felt like to me. We see the reptilians and the exectoids are more aggressive. We've seen that before. We see that the lead scientist is uncertain about what's being done and how he can do it. We've seen that before. It didn't, I actually really strongly disagree that we learn anything critical about this other than she has hesitation around what's being done. But if we never see her again, why does that matter? If she learns no, no, these things. No, but you're, you're ignoring the fact that in the past, yes, these are things we've seen before. We've seen them argue. We know they don't like each other and they have different tacks. But it's like what the council votes for, they all go along with. In this one, the insectoids and the reptilians just say, screw the council. We're going to do whatever we want. That's the first time we've seen that happen. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, this is that, that wedge getting deeper and we're seeing evidence of that wedge getting deeper. But that is such a limited element of this episode. It could have yeah. been any yeah. other content around that, that could have included the lizard and the insectoid elements of the Zindi mm -hmm. overstepping that line. It's it, it, doesn't feel born of the story that is the centerpiece of the story, which is about regime. And one of the, my biggest elements is it's yet again, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a Matahari story and that's just, it's feels incredibly dated, especially for it to be 2003 and for that kind of story to be used where her feminine wiles are so overpowering that even apparently heterosexual women find themselves under her thrall. It's all charged with this kind of eroticism that just feels like it's there for just titillation as opposed to mm -hmm. being, I would have been more interested and I'm going to jump on the rewriting horse right now. What if instead of it being overly sexualized, like there's the, the, the marketplace of slave women, which feels like it was ripped right out of the 1960s, series mm -hmm. as opposed to it being 2003 what if instead of it being any kind of of marketplace and here's you know one of the things that stood out to me it was like the zindi get a spy on the ship in the most roundabout way like there are so many opportunities where this spy would not have ended up on the ship mm -hmm. that it's it's ludicrous to think like this is the most direct, like the Zindi would say, here's how we're going to get her on the ship. Like the, the plan doesn't hold together. But what if instead of it being that it had been just straight up refugee stuff, a derelict ship, something in danger where if the enterprise doesn't rescue these people, they are going to die. And you okay. end up with, you end up with a spy element no, no, no. that is divorced it's, of this sexualized storytelling. It doesn't hold water. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Think about the Delphic Expanse, what they've set up from the very moment they've gotten here. This is the Wild West. 
they're everybody's out for themselves. One of the first episodes was that you remember where they had the captured guy and the guy was saying, we used to be ethical like you, but like you have to be cutthroat out here in the Deathloop expanse. Everybody's for themselves. This is who is going to like, you could understand why people who live in that world would not think let's have a stranded guy on the side of the road and they'll stop by and help him out. When in the Delphi Expanse, nobody does that. But you literally, so it's like, but you're ignoring the way she gets on the ship. She literally asks for sanctuary. Nope. But you're forgetting how they originally tried to get her on the ship. They were selling her as a prostitute. Yeah. So it's but like the you could backup understand plan, why. But the backup plan is if that doesn't work, then ask for help. People oh, asking no, no, no. for help gets her on the ship. Yeah. I, you're mistaken what I'm saying. Their initial plan was, okay, they're going to stop. They're stopping at this planet. Let's put them in, let's put her in the prostitute ring and try to sell her because they're making an assumption they'll want to do that. And when it doesn't work and they're walking away, you can see all the characters being like, oh crap, this isn't working. And so they make an on the fly decision of like, oh, I'll ask for help now. So it's like, that was obviously a plan B or a plan C or even a plan D. I understand that, but what you're missing is my argument that I wish that that a plan didn't exist. But I that doesn't like, feel, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't, it, for me, that doesn't feel like it belongs in how somebody from the Delphic expanse would think. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're talking about it from the point of view. We, we would help somebody like that, or we know the crew would want to do something like that, but they know nothing. And they're going to make the assumption that right. like, everybody but in the my, Delphic expanse my would want to hire, is, get a prostitute. My point is not how do they get her on the ship? My point is the sexualized aspect of this is just gross. Yeah. I felt gross watching this. That was the problem. I agree. I agree with you of once you're on the ship, how everything was like very titillating. That was not necessary. But the whole prostitution ring on the planet and trying to sell her to the captain and then that doesn't work, that I have no problem with because that's been going on here in the on our planet for <laughs> thousands of years. Right. So it's like I can understand why that exists. I have no issue with it. It's once she gets onto the ship. I'm 100% with you. It's like, you did not need to have her walking around scantily clad. It's like, when she shows up in her new outfit, I was like, where the hell did you get that? Yeah. It's like, they don't they don't have that in a rack. It's like, she would have been in like maybe a Starfleet uniform. Like yeah. some like, here's a spare uniform for you. But instead she shows up and it's like, she didn't come with like a little packet bag of like belongings she brought with her. It was ridiculous that she was in this very revealing outfit. So it's like, in that regard, I'm 100% with you. What but I'm arguing my is, point- I have no problem with how they got her on the ship. My, no my point remains, though, I had a problem with how they got on the ship because the steps of logic that this would work, there are too many t- there are too many opportunities for it to not have worked at all. So mm-hmm. I didn't see this as being a plan that was well thought out. I know how we get on the ship. None of that seemed to make sense to me. I thought there were a million other ways that they would have potentially tried to get her on the ship. Ultimately, th- the time that she spends on the ship could have been far more interesting than her just walking around, like coming on to everybody. Cause that's yes. ultimately all she does. Yes. That for me is like uh, underscoring the weakness of, of the episode. And the thing is we've seen that before we've seen Star mm-hmm. Trek tell, tell stories before about it's the siren song. She has this ability. She woos the the male characters and even the female characters, and they're all under her her spell. I'm I'm bored by that. Like I was bored watching this. I didn't see anything come out of the Zindi scenes that we didn't already know. And ultimately, the two species that overstep their bounds, 
I didn't see that as being necessary to this story. That could have happened in any way, shape, or form, even if it was just a simple straight-up attack. We could have had in any episode those two species attack the Enterprise, and the rest of the council could have had the exact same conversation. None of it felt like it was inherently tied together as, oh, part A of this story leads directly to the final part. These are all steps that make sense that follow one another and require one another to make sense. Mm-hmm. It felt like to me, a loose hodgepodge of things that included elements that are important. They get the formula. I was more interested in that storyline. I was more interested in the experimentation to make this thing work than I was in ultimately she's scanning humans. And then part of it for me was the fact that she is trying to find information so that they can do their nefarious plot. The, the, the entire thing is about they're trying to figure out how to destroy humanity. And like, how is what she's doing the simplest way to do that? You've gotten them to the bazaar. You couldn't have just separated one of them, kidnapped them. Like there's so many simpler ways than sending a a woman under that yeah. guise to well, do everything she's done instead of just we need to kidnap a human. Yeah, but at the same time, they're trying to find out as much as they can about humans. It's not just about scanning. They're also trying to find out about them, like what makes them tick, how they work, so they can strategize against them. That's what I took away from that. You're smirking I don't like think- that wasn't there. That's what I took away from it when I was watching this episode of they were trying to learn as much as they can. about. I humans. didn't see that at all, because when yeah. she makes the point at the end where she's like, you don't understand them, nobody cares. Yeah, nobody cares about that. So yeah. the response to like, you don't understand these people, you should actually try to understand them. No, we're building a super weapon. That's all we need to know. It's like for this to hold together, you need to accept that the logic of the characters makes sense within its own machinery. And for me, it just falls apart immediately. There are so many simpler ways for them to, they've got humans walking through a bazaar. What if the guy who runs the shop is like, okay, sit over here and we'll discuss how we're going to negotiate for the purchase of this formula. What if there are sensors in the room and they're just getting scanned without knowing it? And then they leave and he's got all the information. Mm -hmm. there are too many easier ways to do this. And like, I know what we do first. We find an alien who can manipulate people's minds. Then we get her to masquerade as a slave girl. Then if that doesn't work, she has to ask for refuge. Then like, it just starts to be like, Oh my God, really? Like this is it. Uh And then there's also the filmmaking aspect for me, which is just too much titillation for the sake of titillation. I was just left feeling like I just feel gross watching this. All the effects that are used are interesting. Her ability to scan the way she does, like that's an interesting visual effect. But if that is what she can do, I'd be as interested in seeing her pretend to be the shopkeeper. What if she's the person who's selling the formula and is able to do that with people without their knowing? And something goes wrong like that to me would have been a more interesting story. Yeah, no, the, the more, the more direct approach would have been to have the guy that was selling the formula say, you know, like I have to come on your ship and I'll show you some of this stuff. Yeah. And then when he's on the ship, he's like looking at all the equipment and he's doing stuff that looks kind of nefarious. Cause he's actually scanning equipment, scanning parts of the ship and he's scanning them. And like, yes. you could have had that easily. I agree. 
for me, I didn't have a problem with the, how they got her on the ship, but once she's on the ship is when I had problems with it because of this, some of the same stuff that you've been bringing up. It's like, she didn't have to be the, the sexy, it's, it's all of that just kind of went off the, the rails for me around that. But at the same time, I took out of this, the building blocks of what they're setting up and part of the, I'm trying to remember how I felt about this episode when it was originally aired because I know where the rest of the season's going. So watching this episode, knowing that may be affecting how I'm feeling about the episode. Right. And I remember when I, I'm trying to remember what I felt like watching it the first time. And I don't have any memories of disliking this episode. I don't, but I don't remember this episode as being one of my favorites. So this is like, if I was going to rate it from like a ABCD kind of grade, I'd probably be giving this a C. C plus mm-hmm. kind of thing, like where it was like I enjoyed my I enjoyed most of it as I was watching it, but it's not like uh, a home run. It's not a it's not a great episode. But I I don't I clearly like it a lot better than you did. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> so I, I think, think it's interesting. It well, I think it's interesting that you say you you know you enjoyed it a lot more than I did, but you only gave it a C. C plus, which, yeah. which to me is interesting. Like that's a lot more than me. I think it's interesting that that's how you're framing it because I wouldn't go as far as an F. I think that there are elements to this that are important for the overall season, Mm -hmm. but it's the, it's the fact that the series fell back into its own trap of, we know what's going to work titillation. Like, She's going to walk this, around scantily the clad. Of this episode, Sean, is so much lower than what happened in the previous seasons. It's not even close. The, the, the massaging scenes with the rubbing the oils and the, it's like, this doesn't even touch that. So it's like, that's why I'm like, I'm kind of surprised at how sensitive you are to this when the titillation of this doesn't, isn't in the same ballpark as what they were doing before. It's, it's there and it's not necessary. Yes, but it's not as gross as what they did in the past two seasons. There were just scenes before where it was like, this is disgusting. This is just, I can't believe you're doing what you're doing right now. I never felt that way in this one. It felt unnecessary, but it didn't feel offensive. That's at least where I'm sitting on it. Mm. Where you seem like you're, you're, you seem to be offended that they were doing. I, I wasn't offended. I was just grossed out. It was, it's the, I don't and That's think, what I'm saying. It's like, I wasn't grossed out at all. It was, I was just, grossed out on the other stuff they did in the past two seasons. Not this one. It's for me, it's the idea that this woman was put in the position of the way that there's nothing about her character that is doing anything other than just like, this is my one tool to get the information we need left me feeling like they, they drew such a one dimensional character that Mm -hmm. how how boring and how the the depiction of the I, scenes when she walks into the room and immediately people start to like thrum like it's that element of like the 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 kind of leaning forward of the men that attitude it just like i was left feeling like this isn't it didn't feel like i said it didn't feel like 2003 to me it felt like 1960s again 2002 was let's rub oil on ourselves in the decon chamber. Yeah. But 1960s sort of silly, silly sexuality, like 
none of it feels like that's how it actually works. And yet that's how it's being projected. Like it just, it, it felt like a waste of opportunity to me to tell a more interesting story around they're hinting at the fact that people are starting to get injured on the ship by the anomalies. I'm more interested in that. I'm more interested mm -hmm. in, Oh, you're trying to save the ship. Everybody else in the expanse is like, Oh yeah, we can fly around, but we've got this stuff that allows us to do it. And the enterprise having to figure that out to me is a lot more interesting than whether or not Archer is falling in love or lust or just hypnotized by this woman. Like it just didn't hold it for me. It was, it felt, and I wouldn't say I gave it an F I would give it just a lazy D like, mm -hmm. like you had, you have the map for the season. Why is this one of the stepping stones? It just didn't feel like it. It had a place clearly. <laughs> This is one of those times where Matt and I are on opposite sides of the fence, yeah, looking at the, looking at the fence. And I'm saying, boy, this needs to be painted. And Matt's like, it looks great. So <laughs> I'm curious listeners, where do you fall? Do you, are you on my side of the fence? You're like, why is this even here? Or are you on Matt's side where you saw what was happening and you, and you figured it out? Let us know in the comments. You can, of course, on YouTube, just scroll beneath this video, or you can find the contact information in the podcast description, wherever it was you found this episode. And Matt, next time we're going to be talking about the episode Impulse. Any predictions about what that's going to be about? The captain has an impulse to uh, eat too much food? Mm, I don't think so. No. No. Before we sign off, Matt, what do you have coming up on your other channel? Do you want to talk about a lot of stuff? Uh, the next video that's going to be probably out by the time you see this is going to be revisiting solid state batteries and what the current state of that is and why they're not here yet. Hmm. And do they matter anymore? As for me, you can check out my website, seanferrell.com. You can find information about my books there. You can also just go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or your lo local bookstore and find out more about my books that way as well. And I will have an announcement about something in my writing life that will be being made public in the near future. I won't be talking about it today, but next week I will be sharing some exciting information. So I hope you'll all tune in next week for that. Don't forget. It is exciting. You, thank you. <laughs> as, as a little teaser for people, Matt's excited for me. I'm very excited. As a reminder, if anybody would like to support the show, you're doing it right now just by listening. And if you're a subscriber, you're doing it by subscribing. But you can also leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it was you found this show. You can also do that on YouTube. And you can go to trekintime.show and click the Become a Supporter button. And if you do that, you can directly support us through your very generous donations. And if you do that, you become automatically a cadet. That's right. You'll be getting our second show, which is called Out of Time, in which we talk about, well, all the things that aren't Star Trek that we're watching, consuming. Sometimes Star it, Trek. Sometimes it <laughs> is the other Star Trek shows like Lower Decks or Strange New Worlds. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's TV shows. Anything and everything goes on Out of Time. So... If you become a supporter 
through trekintime.show, it gives you an opportunity to find out what else we're watching. All of that really does help support the show. Thank you so much for listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time.